Welcome Hi, to the Yang Gang Roundtable. Hi, Distan. I'm Shale, not the robot. That's Craig, a friendly recording robot. We are a universal basic income advocacy podcast. And I am here with Angelo, Distan, Jeremy, Sheridan, and that's it. Craig is the, the other person here who is the aforementioned robot. And we are going to have an open discussion on poverty, basic income, and electoral politics. Today is April 24th, 2020. Um, why don't we all just do a quick set of introductions going from Sheridan to Angelo. Uh, if you could just say your name and uh, your Twitter handle, starting with you, Sheridan. Absolutely. I'm Sheridan. I manage a small business here in New Mexico, and my Twitter handle is at jsabergamer at J-S-A-B-E-R-G-A-M-E-R. Thank you, Sheridan. And Jeremy? Hi, this is Jeremy. You can follow me on Twitter at JeremySammons1, and that's S-A-M-M-O-N-S, and the number one. Thank you. And uh, Jeremy is running our Twitch stream. I think you can catch us on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash Roundtable. Is that correct? That is correct. Fantastic. Thank you. And uh, Distan... Would you care to introduce yourself, my friend? Hey, I'm Dizdon. I'm a Twitch streamer, speedrunner, and a charity organizer. You can find me on Twitter at DizdonPlays. That's D-I-S-D-O-N-N-P-L-A-Y-S. And also YouTube and Twitch at those same uh, at the same name. So, yeah, I'm everywhere. Thank you, Dizdon. And so glad you could make it back today. We have Angelo Mendoza. Hello, my name is Angelo Mendoza. You can find me on Twitter at Hellion Hellfire. Thank you. All right. Um, so who would like to begin the open discussion today? Can we get through the elephant in the room of uh, yesterday's coronavirus briefing? Oh, my goodness. Please. Can we just suggest everyone don't drink bleach? Don't drink bleach. Don't inject uh, disinfectants. I mean, unless you're... Looking for a fast track into a hole in the ground and being a corpse. So um, I actually did not watch, believe it or not, the president's important address on coronavirus yesterday. I, I just couldn't I just couldn't set aside it. I just couldn't set aside the time. So, uh, you know, could you please clue me in on what drinking bleach has to do with what happened at that event? Well, um, Mr. Trump. Yeah, uh, because I don't want to give him the acknowledgement of the higher office that he holds by failing upwards. Um, he was giving a little bit of a rant about various things that are effective at uh, killing coronavirus on surfaces and then started saying that uh, um, <clears throat> it's probably a good idea to use those on people and that we should look into it. And one of them was UV light. Another one was uh, he talked about disinfectant and bleach and said something along the lines of, yeah, your bleach, bleach and disinfectant that kills the coronavirus in uh, a minute, under a minute. Right. So why, why don't we get our uh, doctors, our best doctors to look into that and uh, inject that into, you know, people and see how that works. And as if that fucking is how it works. Yes, that really happened. That, that and must... because of that, the entire scientific community of the world is now excluding the U.S. 
from vaccine development on the COVID uh, crisis. I cannot blame them. We, so, we are fucked. <laughs> like at some point, someone else has to hold us accountable. Like if we cannot do it to ourselves, right? In, in theory, that should be Mike Pence. We, we're strictly speaking in the realm of practice right now. <laughs> uh, all I know is after seeing that, I immediately had to go upstairs Grab myself my uh, off-brand white claw and drink it because I needed the uh, the brain fuzziness to uh, help me deal with the complete lack of intelligence and sanity in that um, message that was given, and the fact that there is now a lot of people who have to tell people not to drink bleach or inject disinfectant into themselves just tells you how far down the rabbit hole of stupid we have gotten. Yeah, it's it's really ridiculous that it, one uh, silver lining of this is that it's so ridiculous. PhD candidates are losing their imposter syndrome because of how impossibly stupid our president, the leader of our nation, is. This is what happens when you have a president that does a lot of drugs, apparently. And I want to know what drugs he's on because they must be amazing. You know, it's it's easy and fun sometimes to scapegoat the drugs, but it's the man, not the, not the medicines. Yeah, yeah. As an advocate for all drug use, uh, he is very much sober right now. Yeah. See, I That's think a he's terrifying. Thought his biggest problem isn't drugs. His biggest problem is the fact that we know very well that he is in ill health. He does not eat very well. He does not exercise. And he gets, uh, you know, two to three hours a night of sleep, which is, uh, you know, he's running on four years plus of sleep deprivation and bad diet. So God only knows how bad his dementia is right now. Well, I mean, I am also running on four years plus of sleep deprivation. And I was going to say, Trump isn't running on just four years of bad health choices. Oh, yeah, I know. It's more than four years, but we have evidence from Secret Service of the last four. Now, that's, an hyster- that's a hysterical case study. Like, yes, we, we were brought McDonald's at 3 a.m. <laughs> the lovely spread of fast food for, uh, what was it, oh, the yeah, NBA champions ham- last year? Hamburger, the hamburger <laughs> date. I honestly don't care like how many cheeseburgers the big orange man stuffs into his face or how much Adderall he snorts or whatever, you know, more power to him if it empowers him to do his job well, which it does not. You know, it's I, I, I think his health is a thing he can manage himself. It's funny to speculate about it, but but, you know, I wouldn't I don't ever really take it into serious consideration. It's just like a fun, fun thing to joke about, really. Um, That's what we're doing. We're trying to add levity to the stupidity of injecting bleach. But the thing is, you know, you sit on Twitter and you cannot tell people's tone sometimes. Well, could he practice what he's preaching? Um, (laughs) What what do you mean, Angelo? I was saying, um, you know, he wants people to look into injecting disinfectant. Can he practice that himself? Right. Maybe, you know, it used to be considered ethical if you were a real pioneering scientist or doctor to test on yourself first you were the, it, the the initial guinea pig that was the ethical thing to do until medicine sold out you know uh, it's actually among the more ethical drug manufacturers still common practice to ensure that there is zero harm to random indi- indigestion 
as well as beneficial side effects for a specific treatment. The only ones that don't actually self-test for zero harms are the ones that are selling out, like Purdue and all the opioid manufacturers. That's very telling. How did you come across that information? It's been, like you said, decades-long practice, and it's only fallen out of some because they wandered into dangerous medicines. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt the veracity of it at all. I mean, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're correct. But um, I just was curious. Like, what, that's a curious bit of information to run into. Did you just like read the Wikipedia? Do you remember? Did someone tell you? I wonder where one would run into that little bit of education. Oh, I actually got it out of my EMS course. I I was practicing a couple years ago to become a basic EMS first responder. Um, but then I dropped out of that to do more uh, retail and make a little bit better money in a safer environment. Wow. But, wow. It's you make you make more money doing retail than emergency services. Well, you you also have to consider time and scheduling because time okay. is money and and the 14, 16, 18 hour days I would have had to use on yeah. being a first responder, it was it was too expensive for me. Yeah, the on-call stuff is really rough. Yeah, especially if you're not paid when you're on call, I don't know what this, the, the pay schema was for that job, but a job that um, takes your time on sort of a gamble that you might work is really the worst of both worlds. I think uh, there should, I would generally support some legislative restrictions against that kind of work if there's. Oh, no, no, no. Don't, don't even worry about problem. such complicated yeah. proposals like that, Shale. The simple yeah. answer is a basic income. Yeah. Well, you know, that would be another option, wouldn't it? That would sort of um, be something that satisfies multiple ideologies. We wouldn't have to worry about the uh, the, the nanny state or no so much, would we? Well, that exactly. cracked and it, Sheridan. That's, the beautiful, that's the beautiful thing about the basic income. Everyone gets it. And if you want to get rich, make a business. Or if you want to help people, make a charity. Exactly. Basic income is not a cure-all for all of the problems. It just helps, you know, them be a little bit less common and helps people be able to help fix those problems a little bit easier. Basic income is like sleep. You won't really notice it when it's gone until you're about to die. But when you get it consistently every day, your productivity is insane. It's just just like having happy workers. Sleep is just so colossally important. And that's, you know, that's another thing. Our, our workers' culture doesn't really value uh, sleep. Right. Or, or, by ex- or by extension, just the, the biological sanctity and needs of the body. <laughs> yeah, what our capitalistic economy values is production and results. It doesn't value the humans underneath making those uh, productions and results, possibly learning something to make them faster. So what else is going on in the news cycle right now that's that's relevant to our program? Um, Angelo, you are pretty plugged in to the Yang Gang. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your ongoing initiative to go before Congress with UBI supporters and who might be involved and how that's going, when that might happen? Um, we are actually getting ready to uh, talk to our Congress people as soon as they're back in, as soon as Congress is back in session to get a formal invite. And uh, to find out the time and medium for the testimony, we're also currently looking for people to help with um, researching uh, COVID-19 and 
also to research bills that are on the table right now so that we can make sure that we are pushing something that isn't a uh, political hot button. Um, for anyone who's listening, how could they be involved with that? Um, just contact me and I'll get them an invite to the Slack and or uh, work with them uh, independently off of Slack if necessary. And your Twitter one more time is Hellion Hellfire? Yes, it's okay. at Hellion Hellfire. Thank you. And uh, Angelo, uh, when is uh, Congress reconvening? May 2nd or May 8th? May 4th. Oh, fantastic. I on them both. May the 4th be with us. I knew someone was going to say it. <laughs> I know the, uh, the, House was in session, uh, the House was in session yesterday, and I thought they were, were uh, reconvening again today. Is that just strictly for the uh, uh, Paycheck Protection Program? Are they not hearing any other legislation? That's what we've heard is that um, at least all of Congress hasn't uh, fully reconvened until the 4th. Yeah, and I, I really hope that they don't push that back again, extending their paid vacation. I mean, they might. We have Georgia that's about ready to reopen everything before Monday, and then Texas and Ohio and before South Carolina. Monday. Yeah. 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 As egregious wow. as their being a paid vacation is, I mean, like the bigger issue is indeed that when, you know, states are, are you know, are, are, are starting to quote unquote open up, whatever that means, partially due to political pressure from, you know, uh, top down from governors and stuff who want to grandstand to make a show of their strange economic politics in action that they must present as working, even though they clearly do not. And uh, partially from the bottom up from poor people who work as a way of life. One wants to work because they are not surviving well now. They are destitute. So it's very important that Congress pass a second stimulus for all people. I haven't yet gotten my 1200 You know, fortunately, my brother did, who I live with. And, you know. So is we're, yeah, we're safe for now. Uh, uh, Jeremy posted in the chat a, a wonderful, wonderful picture of, of what's going on Uh Nancy Pelosi eating ice cream in front of her $24,000 worth of fridges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those tasteless and tone deaf. And I'm just, I'm happy for any, I mean, look, I have two minds about it. I don't like insubstantial politics. This is, this is not really, you know, based on an ideology, voting record, and really not super, super job related. But I, it's a bad one. We're, we're at kind of a, a terrible, terrible place in history where politics is sort of an all engulfing, like, war like a culture war and an attention a war for your attention um so I'm, I'm happy for any anything that takes nancy pelosi into a sort of more clownish oafish role she deserves to be viewed as a bizarro trump and not a real alternative to trump so i'm glad for this cultural progression even though it's unfortunate that it you know has to come at the cost of muddying the political waters further wow that's that's one heck of a concept that Trump has brought everyone down to his level. Nancy, Biden, Schumer, uh, McConnell, the entire GOP party. Well, he it's speaks sad. to the lowest common denominator. You have to, you know, if he speaks to the most people, you have to get the, the attention of the most people to win. So there's one sort of theory you can construct that goes, well, this is a winning strategy. Let's all adapt, right? It's a grotesque adaption. Someone fed the Mogwai after midnight. Yeah, another way of of, of <laughs> seeing it is that simply the mask is off of neoliberalism and it was this way all along. 
so what else is happening in the news cycle that that's pertinent to our program here? Um, the, the Senate Majority Leader, I believe, has blocked in the Senate the two thousand dollars a month uh, part of the next stimulus bill, but I, that is unconfirmed. I've only heard tidbits uh, of that on yeah, uh, Twitter. That is that's what I'm talking about. This, you know, so so the Yang Gang has someone running against him anyway, so. Let's hope he wins. The problem, yeah. the problem so is that we need the money now, not in November. I'm sorry, Shale. What was that? No, I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. You're right. Just done. We need the money now. Uh, you know, I need it. You need it. We all need it. And people, people need it more than us. But um, who are we talking about by name here? We're talking about Mitch McConnell and Mike Breuer. Is Mike Breuer one of the people who we have lined up as a possible guest? Yes. Yes. Jeremy uh, reached out to Mike Breuer and actually got him to. Agreed to come on the show, so that was fantastic. Uh, thank you very much, Jeremy, for setting that up. And uh, let me let me check my notes. He is going to be here not tomorrow, but eight days from today. So our uh, uh, Saturday discussion on the second on May second, we'll have Mike Breuer here. Um, so that will be very exciting. That is very exciting. But yeah, Mike Breuer is a really exciting candidate to uh, push McConnell out. But like Diston says. The $2,000 a month is on the table right now, and we need Kentuckians to call and bitch to Mitch that he is inadequate. Yes, please. If you are a Kentuckian, please call. If you have friends in Kentucky, please call. I think I've got one good friend in Kentucky. I'm going to text him, see if I can convince him to to call, to complain, to tell I've called my reps multiple times. Telling them to get Mitch off his ass, telling them to, you know, vote for the UBI packages. And none of them have sent any responses back to me talking about the UBI. They've been talking about the uh, unemployment insurance stuff and the work guarantee, but nothing about UBI. Not a damn thing. And what pisses me off is that in those letters, because I get those letters too from my representatives, they always talk about, working families and we need to keep workers employed while exempting everyone else. It's like, who do you think these people are working for? Unemployment is at 26 million right now. Um, and that's just people that's who qualify. And that's yeah. only people who qualify. Uh, basically right now we are sitting at over 20% unemployment, which is far worse than the great depression. And yet they're talking about working. That's official unemployment statistics, not the actual labor force participation rate, which was at 63% before the crisis. Yeah, 63% is not 100%. It's actually 40% lower than that. So we are well, probably well beyond a uh, 40 or even 45% total population that could be working, not working. Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're talking over 50% is probably not working right now. If it was 45% or 40% that weren't working before this, and now we added another 20%, we're, we're looking at uh, having damn near nobody working. Again, that 20% that you're talking about, the 26 million people, those, that's for the people who made it onto unemployment and got counted. There are a lot more people that didn't get counted, but those people who got counted are still a very small fraction of actually unemployed. Yeah, I've been uh, self-employed part-time for a while, and 
uh, am now unemployed because the part-time work from home employment that I'd been doing uh, basically shut down because of coronavirus and having too many people uh, working with not enough work to do because no one's going to be searching, uh, you know, where to go and planning trips and stuff. And they won't need their Google maps updated and correct if uh, nobody's going anywhere. Yeah, definitely. And I'm thankful that my business is able to hang on with a little bit of a lifeline, but I'm pretty much in the same boat. I, I am self-employed with practically no margin for profit. And I'm technically not eligible to get the PPP program, not just because it ran out of money, but because of the uh, way that it's structured. I'm probably not going to qualify. And uh, I believe that the federal government has advised self-employed not to go and use unemployment insurance. But that varies state by state because my state is still recommending self-employed people file on unemployment. This is an unprecedented feeling of systemic breakdown. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I've never seen states and the federal government disagree en masse on this scale in my lifetime. Have any of you? I'm about the same age as you, Shale, so no. Um, I am definitely haven't had this happen. Nope, yeah. this is a new one. Well, I think you have to be over 50 to have uh, lived through anything like that, and yeah. maybe even older. Maybe. Back in the civil rights era, probably. Oh, I would say that trying to get the women's equality uh, amendment passed. Oh, the ERA. Yeah. Well, historically speaking, um, I don't think even looking into the most recent history, we would find anything close to this. Um, like the closest pandemic would be the Spanish flu, uh, and the closest thing economically would be. Uh, the crash of 29, which, I mean, realistically, those are both almost 100 years ago, so no, none of us were around back then. And everything's the changed yeah. a lot in 100 years. In yeah, 100, 100 years, years ago, ago have computers. Uh, 100 years ago, we had typhoid Mary, and pandemics were genuinely a lethal, dangerous problem that we had no remedy for. And, and, and part of the, the... Sorry, oh, go on. And our police power has actually waned in times of public health crises because of our uh, cultural shifts. Like um, some people in a handful of states are actually able to sue their state governments over the loss of rights because of this quarantine and lockdown. And to be honest, I think that's agreeable because it was leadership's failure that allowed this dangerous pathogen to enter our economies but that aside um police power a hundred years ago for this was a lot stronger for public health and that's just what i want to say and uh you know out of the 1929 crash we got eventually um social security you know the roots we had a lot of civil engineering programs where they rebuilt roads and they help they paid artists to make murals and all sorts of shit and the necessity of preventing uh the most vulnerable from falling into abject poverty and that was you know during a time when work was abundant so people who couldn't work were the people that really need to be protected and now everyone needs to be protected uh, we saw the value of just keeping everyone out of abject destitution out of homelessness out of material want for food shelter and survivability and uh 
that's a thing society needs to function. And yet we we cannot get a two thousand dollar one time follow up to our twelve hundred dollar uh, initial emergency payment. Oh, uh, the stimulus that I mentioned earlier, it was $2,000 for every month of this crisis. It was essentially a basic income to everyone who had a bank account. It is difficult to follow where Congress is with this bill, but that's great to hear. I'm glad that that is still being seriously considered. I would be moved as long as Mitch doesn't fuck it up. Yeah, I cannot imagine just how life-changing that would be for me and so many other people. You know, I would not, I haven't made $2,000. Yeah, if, uh, I'm, Jeremy can definitely find it. The language of the bill is even more fascinating because it not only does it provide $2,000 a month for every month of the crisis, it projects $1,000 a month for a year after the crisis. Yeah, it's pretty comprehensive. Um, and I posted a link about, um, as you were talking about the states being sued for you know, failing on this to see just how badly we failed. Um, apparently the first deaths are being traced back to, you know, early in mid February now. And I'm guessing it's probably even earlier. They probably got mixed in with flu season numbers because we know for a fact that the first deaths in China came around, uh, November. And so that means that from November, to, you know, whenever we started the lockdown stuff at the beginning of March, I mean, that was completely uninterrupted travel. We had flights going to and from China, to and from Wuhan, to and from, you know, every country in the world. And this was just silently being carried out until people started getting sick from it. In March was when we first started quarantining uh, international flights of Chinese nationals and only a handful of Americans from one province that has, um, I believe it's the Huaiji province, and it has the uh, city of Wuhan in it. And that's the one province that the federal administration labeled as quarantine-worthy along with Chinese nationals. Nobody else on the entire planet, when we know that this is a planet-wide pandemic oh fun fact actually the strain that we have here in america is covid l which uh is the mutation that happened in italy the version that um most asian countries got is the original one from uh china which is covid s which is far less aggressive and uh, far slower spreading. So the COVID L version that we have is both more aggressive and um, way more contagious. I, I heard in the Kim Iverson video that we had both L and S in America. If I could sprinkle in more nuance into that, some hot spots like New York and Los Angeles have both strains because of their international travel. Um, the L and S varieties also have a variety of different um, properties. I believe the S is more heat resistant and the L is more cold resistant. So the areas that have both strains are going to have year-long problems until a vaccine is distributed. And even then, they'd have to have a vaccine that's distributed that takes out both. And we know how well that works with our yearly flu vaccines, and not even counting if it mutates between now and then. 
Well, fun fact about um, COVID in general, well, the COVID-19 virus, is most viruses are RNA-based. COVID-19 is DNA-based. Uh, I actually want to correct that. It is not. It is still an RNA virus. It is just a mutated RNA virus that has a copy check mechanism. Yeah, Caroline was commenting on this uh, briefly before she got very busy. Um, it would be great if we could have um, someone with a real real clinical understanding of this because it's interesting and it could be significant in how we treat the virus. I'm sure there's a virologist or an epidemiologist who is very interested in basic income we could find. Yeah, it's it's at this point we we first heard about the virus in late November to mid December and then we didn't start actually doing any sort of lockdowns until March. That's a 3 to 4 month gap of no and I mean no work done by any countries really to contain this except China once they realized that shit was getting bad. And I hate to, you know, be conspiracy theorist about this, but we do not have the accurate numbers from China. The reason why we know that we is don't have because accurate numbers from anyone, but China has been egregious in their censorship and mislabeling. Yeah, and the reason why I'm saying that is because we're talking about the city that it started in. It's a city of 11 million people, and you're trying to tell me that a virus this contagious only, you know, affected, you know, a handful of thousands and a, you know, killed, you know, another handful of thousands. That's not possible. There's at least a million cases that happened in that city before they were able to tamp it down. And we don't know how many people died, but we know that the streets of a lot of Chinese cities have been empty for months. I completely agree that the Chinese numbers from the actual federal communist party or at least their version of federal, uh, are inaccurate. However, in the city of Wuhan, I could believe those hundreds of thousands infected and thousands dead because of the way China operates. They have Sesame Credit, which is essentially a statewide surveillance system on behavior. They have incredible centralism in their health uh, systems, and they also have incredible authoritarianism when they used their lockdowns and quarantines, they were brutally effective in stomping out this virus. I can completely believe those numbers. I will agree that they are not as low as they are, but they're not in millions. No, um, at least not in Wuhan. The question, exactly. though, is, you know, with you're talking about the authoritarianism, like how many people were, you know, not killed by the virus but killed to contain the virus because i know what is it the philippines the the leader of the philippines is saying that he's about ready to start shooting people who are sick with it and i completely agree those are definite uh numbers that will never be seen at least um from their official statistics you would need an outside investigation into that but we can't even consider something like that right now yeah. And you were mentioning other countries not having accurate numbers. There's multiple reasons for that. Oh, at, One yeah, of yeah. which being Every country uh, has no uh, accurate numbers due to the number one reason of mislabeling. Uh, the number of pneumonia deaths in every country has starkly risen simply because doctors don't know about COVID. 
And now they are definitely counting them as proper COVID deaths, as more symptoms, as more um, diagnosis and prognosis of, uh, profiles come out. But in also, the early months, we, we thought it was just some pneumonia was getting bad. Well, also, there's an incentive even here to underreport numbers. For example, it found out that in Texas, they weren't reporting COVID cases from prison inmates, and they were quietly uh, having them treated um, in a different county. Yeah, I don't know of anything go- like that going on where I live now in Montana. However, I do know for a fact that they're doing that in my home state of Minnesota in the more rural uh, west central and northern counties, uh, one of which is where my mother resides. She went in in mid-February uh, complaining of pneumonia, bronchitis, and uh, they tested her only for the flu. And it came back negative, but they kept swearing it's the flu. She still has symptoms. She has not recovered fully. She's still forced to work at a retail establishment, Home Depot. So, I mean, my mother is probably knowingly going to work with COVID because they refuse to test her. Yeah, and administrative failings on actually getting tests out is a whole nother topic. Um, I, I actually think we should get onto it because Trump, this is my biggest problem with Trump, like in all four years, in all four years, this is the biggest problem I've had with him. Because when I saw this starting in January, February, I was like, you know, I think it's good we have the America first guy now. But it turned out it, it wasn't even a little bit true. He didn't do any major international lockdowns. He didn't isolate America. He didn't do anything of real controversy he just did his political games to ensure his election and that snowballed into an actual election destroying problem of course he's going against a limp dick so he may still win but the testing failure starts with him uh we could have had widespread testing as early as february the the world health organization was literally throwing millions of tests at us but Sheridan, it's Obama's fault. Four years later, it's still Obama's <laughs> fault. Yes, and uh, egotistical, political, uh, for some reason, point capture by blaming Obama for this is also in the mix. He's so narcissistic, he can't even see the actual end game. He's a low stakes, low reality player in a high stakes game. But yes, uh, Trump could have accepted millions of tests, um, and they may have not been the best tests, but we would have had at least some idea of what was going on, especially with the spread rate of this disease. It's so high that community prevalence, community spread, began almost two weeks after the first cases were seen. That's an insane spread time for people who were not coming from Wuhan to start getting this disease even if we had from the administration lowered the testing requirements to say um if you even think you're asymptomatic like they are now in february we could have possibly gotten a better handle on this and start seeing where the virus was but now that we're in the mid game and approaching the late game of this pandemic 
the only thing that we can really look towards now is antibody testing, tr- uh, test and tracing like South Korea did, and vaccines all at once before we can start lifting this quarantine. And everyone is suddenly silent. Was a lot of information. This happens once in a great while. You know, I always wonder: should I chime in now? Should I try to redirect the show? I always think no. Someone's going to come and someone's going to bring up the next talking point. But um, yeah, after like I three mean, or four seconds, you should. At this yeah. point, it'd probably be a good way to pivot to uh, the one director uh, of uh, the CDC or something that got uh, reassigned after questioning Trump. And uh, who was that? Oh, 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 oh. Uh, so, yeah, let's get details on that. I, 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 I am vaguely story. Um, Angelo, do you know the the name of the CDC director who was just re- reassigned under some, you know, pretty typical uh, Trump administration circumstances? I know his name, but I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. Was it yeah. was it Doctor Fauci? No, no, no. no it was somebody it else. Wasn't him. It was someone newer. Uh, Doctor Rick Bright. Oh, cool. Let's see, Jeremy has a, a link here. Oh. The director of the agency responsible for leading the charge on the production purchase. I probably should just read the whole article. <laughs> and there's basically the same thing from uh, the BBC. And this was because he had made some comments Dr. Bright, about yeah. the hydroxychloroquine, which has now oh, been no. found to be actually more fatal of a treatment than any yeah, other treatment. I heard it raised the death rate to something like 28%, something absurd like that. Yeah, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine has always had wild side effects and wild complications, the most fatal of which are arrhythmias that lead to heart attacks. That and yet so there's awful. a uh, person who's a senator or congresswoman from Michigan who is... Uh, Democrat who's been praising Trump and hydrochloroquine after being diagnosed with and recovering from uh, COVID. Now, the question is, was it the hydrochloroquine that helped or was it just the in general, uh, you know, treatment? Because, I mean, even if it did help that one individual, that doesn't mean that it, you know, is a good idea for everyone to be taking that because of aforementioned side effects. It's absurd. 28% death rate. And like, you know, I saw a montage supercut video this morning of Trump going, try, try it, try the hydroxychloroquine. And like the last one is try it. What have you got to lose? He literally like pups up his cheeks, his little shrug. He's like, what have you got to lose? Literally, what have you got to lose? You know, that's the same sort of thing that he did with the fucking bleach. Yeah, what, what I forgot. All, I, can't, it's, I can't even keep that in my mind because it's so absurd. I just delete it from yeah, memory. He, just, he recommended weird. drinking bleach to the mass public of America. I, please, can we not forget Donald Trump recommended drinking bleach to the mass public of America? Can he lead by example? <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, every time... Test, test it on yourself. Be, be the first anecdote. I mean, it's so effective at killing viruses that my uh, one friend, every time that he gets depressed, he likes to say, oh, I'm going to go drink bleach. I mean, it'll cure his depression, right? It'll cure everything. Yeah. You you can't have any diseases if you're dead. Yep. So we have a big moderated discussion coming up tomorrow. Oh, man. uh, I'm so excited. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Me too. Um, We've got a lot of... uh, 
a lot of uh, good guests coming up. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna segue into that. I was gonna say uh, I was gonna say we could talk on our first topic, but before we get to it, I'll go ahead and um, Jeremy, yeah, do you want do you want to mention freaking, the guests we have coming up for tomorrow? Hype it up. Tune in to the Yang Gang Roundtable podcast tomorrow with special guests Fred the Felon, Shaving with Tolly, Dan Larson, and Kevin from Linsight. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It was a fantastic voice for that, too. It's just, just perfect. I think you, you received a compliment on your voice the other day on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, that's, yeah, uh, that's a good thing. I got a, I got a face for radio. Yes. You, need, you need to make a Craig note. And and click yeah. that for a trailer. Okay. <laughs> Post it all over Instagram and Twitter. We'll help you. All right. Here. Let me get Craig a note. Um, so our first topic for tomorrow's discussion, uh, which we could dig into now because it's very interesting, is the price of oil has gone negative for the first time in history. Negative. What does that mean? What are its implications? What are its positive and negative aspects? Should this affect uh, United States policy going forward? Uh, that also happened this week. It's been a long year. Yeah, it's been a long year. <laughs> Isn't that absolutely yes, this crazy? is actually so such an exciting economic di- discussion because it really shows the volatility of assets and how quickly the narrative of an asset can change from gold to garbage. So, real quick, the commodity of crude oil is difficult to extract out of the ground and difficult to ship, and it cannot be stored easily. It's a toxic, smelly, dangerous substance that needs to be taken care of very safely. Now, you can't directly go to a market and buy a barrel of oil as a consumer. You have to be more sophisticated at often a business entity. You will go to a futures market and you will buy the rights to a thousand barrels of oil sometime in the next few months when it is drilled up at a guaranteed price. This helps smooth out price fluctuations and actually creates a market for speculation and volatility. So financial institutions can get a little uh, sliver of profit off of organizing all these contracts from producers to manufacturers. Um, Let's take car gasoline. It's, It's actually a super easy one. It uh, comes from crude oil, hits these markets as a future, and then goes to an expensive refining process. Uh, when a gas manuf- when a gas seller, like a gas station, buys from a refinery, they can buy almost directly off the refinery because the refinery has reserves and the whole system flows that way. Now that entire nations are shut down, travel, tourism, daily commutes, all these incredibly oil expensive tasks, all this demand just disappeared. And that's the first of this incredible dip. The second uh, major point of this incredible dip is the supply side. Saudi Arabia and Russia, along with several other oil producing nations, expired an OPEC agreement, which was basically an international cartel to keep the price of oil up the supply down, and to make a shit ton of money off of this limited reserve. Now, that was honestly great, even for the environment, because people will buy less if forced electric cars to innovate. It arguably created Tesla. But they got into a little tussle since that OPEC agreement just went out the window. Both nation states started producing oil like crazy, creating a huge 
supply increase in the overall market. And I, I want to be very specific in the price that we're talking about went negative. It was the futures for one American company called West Texas Oil. And it's a pretty big company. So America uses it as almost like the stock market index for the oil market at large. Everyone who was buying oil from that one company suddenly looked at the deadline and it was April 22nd. And they had to get rid of a contract or be forced to take up oil, 1,000 barrels of oil per future contract. And that's per item of future contract. These futures contracts are for thousands of contracts. So they had to take physical possession of this oil with no capacity for storage or get rid of the contract. So everyone got rid of the contract on the same day, forcing the price to plummet below negatives because nobody needs oil. God damn, that was a good explanation there, buddy. So ultimately, what happened to the oil that needs to be stored somewhere? That is a fantastic question because that moves on to who's winning? Who's actually making money in a negative oil market? And it's anyone who has a jerry can. If you own the means to store this crude oil safely for long term, you are going to get paid millions of dollars for doing so. Tankers, like Jeremy just pointed up, are charging half a million dollars a day to store this oil. These um, types of industries are varied and are actually really incredible. Because um, shipping industries have been largely hit because tourism has gone out the window. So everyone is like filling up their giant ships, filling up oil tankers at, and getting paid for it while they aren't having any tourist customers that they'd normally have. It's keeping some companies afloat through this, which is actually a really incredible case study. But again, at large, this is an incredible clusterfuck. Hey, Sheridan, uh, perhaps you can comment on um, how you think this is going to affect some of the big petrostates that exist, like members of OPEC and uh, other countries that um, some countries rely on oil being at a at a price somewhere like at a bare minimum of around like 50, 60 bucks sadly, for their society to even exist. Sadly, there's a truism. The rich get richer and the poor get poor. If a oil state is badly managed and is already in an unstable or poor state, this will push them over the edge or deeper down into the fuckhole. If they are already in a decent position, this is going to be a blip in history. But uh, the two biggest players that started the supply shock, Russia and Saudi Arabia, are already in discussions to reduce supply, mainly in response to the coronavirus, but once you make a peace treaty, it's pretty easy to keep peace. So they're likely going to form a new OPEC to start driving the price up again. Well, depending on how long this uh, crisis lasts, uh, we'll see how well that goes for them. Most importantly, this is, is the innovations that happen in the meantime. If, for instance, Tesla comes out in the next couple of months saying, we have a glass battery that can be charged up in five seconds and can hold a thousand miles of two ton carrying capacity 
for a standard car, it could irrevocably shift the uh, economic dynamics of what energy is for humanity and how we store it. Because electricity is already cheaper than oil. The problem is long-term use. We can't store the billions of gigawatts that are hitting our surface every day in just America. We have it, but we can't store it anywhere. Um, People are suggesting using gravity batteries, using um, uh, power stations and their um, grid capacity. But ultimately, it comes down to massive storage at a quick speed that can be um, adjusted fluidly. And that's why oil is still the top game right now, is because you can store a liquid fluidly, easily, for a long time. It's a strange situation with oil being connected to specifically the United States dollar, too. So there's a huge vested interest in oil maintaining key to the function of the world's economy. Uh, you know, the, you know what I mean? Well, I, I only discuss it in terms of the energy sector. Oil is incredibly useful for everything in our economy from computers Plastic. to, yeah, exactly. From uh, computers to tanks, to weaponry, to everything we use, clothing, even um, the uh, packaging for your food is all used uses uh, petroleum to manufacture that plastic cardboard and lamination. I mean, until they uh, get their heads out of their ass and uh, actually legalize hemp and marijuana again, because I, I do that want was to one of the reasons why it was uh, made illegal in the first place. Was it uh, encroached on paper and oil? Yes, it did encroach on paper and oil and had lobbyist money from it. But I do want to pin the blame on the main culprit of its illegality, hysterical, xenophobic racism. Oh, yes. That aside, hemp is federally legal. It is federally legal as the of the 2018 Farm Bill that President Trump did sign, one of the handful of great things he did. And companies can manufacture plastics and clothes out of uh, hemp now. Now, that's on a state-by-state basis and which states actually allow full growing and manufacture and how they can dispose of their hemp appropriately. And most um, states have, like, licensing that you need to do and check Exactly, and regulations, which is really, I, I think, a fantastic model. And if we could do the same for every single drug, just strike down the CSA, we would have effectively ended the war on drugs and allowed states to become laboratories on what works and what's obviously a dumb thing to do. But yes, hemp can uh, largely replace a lot of the manufacturing um, that oil produces because of its strong polymers. But with the prices going this far negative, which it has never done. Never. Never in history has it ever been negative. What kind of... um... Social unrest are we going to be looking at? Because the main countries that are, you know, profiting off of it are already fairly unstable at the moment. We're talking, you know, a lot of countries in the Middle East. We're talking Russia. We're talking, you know, Venezuela. Well, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE are actually fairly stable. Um, Yes, they have uh, shocks in their market and their markets are very heavily tied to oil. But they're producers. On the production side, it's a little different. Um, 
and being a nation state, they can pretty much make say go. So they don't have any uh, big concerns beyond, you know, farming their own food. Uh, Venezuela, however, does have a huge problem because their mismanagement was incredibly tied to the markets of oil. Yes, they're a producer, but they're the way that they leverage themselves and their public company, their single public company that their entire state economy is tied to is heavily leveraged in the markets and in futures. Um, it was actually where a lot of the wealth of Venezuela came from when oil was worth $50 a barrel. And when oil crashed, um, it was actually the major trigger for Venezuela tumbling into their cyclic, the deflationary cycle that uh, we've talked about before, rather inflationary cycle with deflating uh, growth. Because the inflation uh, was caused by the government just printing their problems away and creating more generous welfare states instead of creating higher taxes on the single export they relied on. I mean, I guess we can probably bring this around back to uh, the reopening of states like Georgia and uh, Texas and South Carolina, which are... I mean, it's getting towards summer. Those are all, you know, coastal states. They all have pretty big tourist uh, businesses. And because of this oil shock, price is going to go so far down that when these places open, there's going to be a lot of travel. And um, what uh, of that travel is going to result in major spikes in COVID cases? That's a pretty big assumption for the travel. Uh, The reopening may happen, but the COVID scare is so deep in consumer markets, that even before the public officials instituted lockdown measures, over half of the population stopped doing their normal activities. Um, And I'm taking this information from Dan Price's uh, company, Gravity Payments. They released all their data for the small businesses of Seattle. And they are also a coastal, hugely hot box area for tourism. Um, But When the COVID uh, scare started in February, before lockdowns took effect, over half of small business revenue disappeared because people stopped going out. So we're talking about the other half then that will be out and about and spreading things around. So again, maybe not because that's that's only half of the people who were still going around unknowing. Now that it's so publicly known that this is a fatal dangerous, rapidly spreading disease, it probably pushed that number down even further to only like Trump's base, like 20, maybe 30% of the population. Again, 20 to 30% of the population is still a fairly large amount to I completely agree. spread. I completely agree. It is a very dangerous situation, but I mean, if Georgia is willing to be a case study in Darwinian selection, then so be it. I mean, I'll give my prediction. And since we just uh, went over 50,000 confirmed dead, and that is, you know, barring the earlier discussion of, you know, possibly lower death counts and lower attributions to, uh, you know, appease Trump and the government for more testing and supplies, uh, we're halfway to 100,000 dead confirmed. And my guess is by the end of... May, we're going to hit 100,000. I think that's an accurate prediction. I really think it is. 
because uh, this isn't just a one and done thing. This isn't uh, just going to disappear after the peak. And I, I hear people talking about the peak day. I'm like, peak days don't matter. That just means that we're over like the possible worst of it if we keep doing what we're doing forever until we actually have an immunity developed, which is a vaccine or antibodies. And that's going to take a long time to get effectively made, tested, and distributed. Yes. So when people are talking about these peak days, I, I have to remind them that there's going to be a second wave if we don't keep up. That's exactly what happened with the Spanish flu. The initial wave wasn't that bad, and then people got a little too comfortable, and the second wave is actually where, historically, it got very deadly, and they started seeing uh, deaths on a much more massive scale, and the virus began spreading like wildfire. So, Thank you so much, Jeremy, because the waves are actually really important to understand, uh, as well as the flattening the curve graph. All of our hospitals only have so many beds, and that's mostly by laws to keep the price of doctors and hospitals high because by keeping supply low. Um, that second wave where most of the deaths happened was because hospitals could no longer care for the incoming patients. People were left out on the street to die because we could not take care of them. That is the real dangers of a second wave. And I, I cannot... I cannot hammer home how important it is to stay the fuck home and keep flattening the curve until you get injected with antibodies or a vaccine. You would also think that at some point, without a host to replicate, the virus would eventually die. Granted, it would require people being at home and bringing infection numbers down to zero, but... So, you're absolutely right, Angela. There was a quote by a doctor that said if there was a magic wand where we could wave it and every American would stop exactly where they are for 14 days, exactly six feet apart, and not do anything, the virus would all but evaporate. And the reality is, is that won't happen. Medicine needs to be taken. People need to go to the grocery store to get food. Life has to still sputter on until we get back to full running. And that that sputtering on is still a vector for more cases. So we're going to have a small lifeline until we crush this problem. And, and not small lifeline, we're going to have a small trickle of cases even after the peak, like in the uh, graph that Jeremy uh, gave us earlier about the Spanish flu. It had a small number of cases constantly. But because of their measures, they were able to keep the quantity below the hospital capacity so every patient had one or even two doctors. Yeah. Um, I had just mentioned the Spanish flu a little while ago as well, but yeah, the the Spanish flu was a horrific um, pandemic where the second wave was worse than the first. And that's what we want to avoid here with uh, COVID-19 is having that second wave be the one that really starts to wake people up because the death toll rises. And it's the thing that I'm seeing where I'm at in rural Montana is a lot of people are, well, we're going to be slowly reopening some businesses after the 1st of May because the governor has been complained to enough. He's been trying very hard to, you know, keep us closed and keep the, you know, only the most essential things open. But he's planning on, you know, reopening hair salons and bars 
and suggesting the social distancing, which I know isn't going to happen because people are stupid. But um, the thing is that out here, we have a low population, but we're uh, looking at a lot of these people going and shopping right now. Like, while the only things that are really open are grocery stores and department stores, they're going to Billings to go to Walmart and Target to shop for non-essential goods. And that is a hotbed for cases. And it then they go back to their home counties all over the state where they're in a lower rural capacity. And then they go to their local grocery store to pick up other odds and ends like milk and cheese, you know, the perishable goods. So what happens is they bring it back with them. Then that can get infected into our, you know, very minimal, you know, staff of grocery stores and get on our shelves, et cetera, et cetera. So when, you know, this, quote unquote, second wave starts after things start reopening, they're going to see it in more rural areas where they've been swearing up and down that they don't have cases. Yeah. So uh, here in my neck of the woods, uh, here in my neck of the woods, uh, Missouri in general has kind of handled this pandemic differently than some states. So um, uh, our governor, Mike Parson, uh, instead of, you know, stepping up and handling this responsibly, he passed the buck down to the individual counties of our state to figure out how they were going to regulate uh, what stayed open, what closed, and uh, what have you. So starting today in Franklin County, golf courses, movie theaters, concert halls, gymnasiums, exercise and fitness studios, bowling alleys, skating rinks, these are all back open for business today. Wow. Wow. That is incredibly reckless. I, I don't mean to be harshing on your county, but that is incredibly reckless. Now, can we recall what happened with Rand Paul and his uh, gym usage? <laughs> what what happens when you use the gym? You sweat, right? And COVID can be uh, spread by sweat, right? Well, COVID is also airborne, so... That's a place I want to be in a pandemic, a place where people are breathing hard and breathing out much more forcefully than they ordinarily would be. Yeah, that's the actual big one. Uh, COVID is actually really interesting. Um, it's along the lines of it's, it's SARS, but it's the second version of it. Um, the first version of SARS only attacked the lungs. That's That was its game. It went into the lungs and it started wrecking damage. And that's why cases were so low because they got bad fast. COVID is really interesting because it's a little bit smarter. It actually infects the epithelial cells in your throat and it hangs out there for almost a week. That's where you hear the asymptomatic for five days line is because COVID is multiplying in your throat cells. Some of them actually get sucked down into your lungs and start behaving like SARS. And those are the severe cases where people have a hard time breathing. So coughing, breathing hard, having the virus come from your throat into the air and hang in the air is its main way of traveling. So gyms, movie theaters, tight, cramped spaces that are enclosed, even if they they maintain the U.S.'s safe social distancing measures that's not going to be enough to protect the people from filing out of the same entrance and same exit where they're breathing aerosolized particles 
into that airspace and everyone behind them are breathing that in again. It's ridiculous to think that these tight enclosed spaces are safe to have businesses running again. And any actually wise business is going to recognize this and make a public statement about it. I mean, I go into town uh, once a week to do errands um, because, you know, you have to go to the grocery store and get food. And during my one time a week, we don't have a washer dryer at my house. So I go to the laundromat. The laundromat has the best, uh, (laughs) I guess, um, deterrent for people to um, not be in there in large groups or even bring their kids because they have two big signs basically covering both of the glass doors that open the laundromat. One has the hours that there's an attendant and the other has big bold letters, you know, detailing, you know, keep it limited to so many people at a time, wash your damn hands six feet apart. Like just, it's, it's insane how like clear and concise they are in this laundromat that gets like, I don't know. I, when I'm there, I usually maybe only see one other person. So like, yeah, it's, since we're not having the big oil rigs being worked on, there's not a lot of people going to the laundromat and yeah, they're, they're taking it fucking more seriously than everywhere else. The bars have their hours of operation and saying, uh, open for, you know, pickup for, you know, pizza and beer and food and whatever at curbside delivery these hours. So absolutely. We are definitely seeing the sociological effects of failing leadership because if our leadership was actually capable and had locked down america not only would we still be doing everything normal but businesses probably wouldn't even notice this pandemic happening in the rest of the world because we're so america focused when leadership like this fails it falls to everyone else to pick up the slack and that means the owners of individual businesses who know the basics of public health. That's a beautiful trending tag to see. Congress pass UBI. It's so disgusting that the $2,000 a month proposal is just out of the bill already. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of out of the loop on that. So, uh, Shia, when you, uh, when you mentioned that, are you just saying... I'm just going by the headline of, of a... A link that was just shared in our uh, our group DMs on Twitter. I didn't click through because I was just trying not to get too distracted from from uh, paying attention to the show here. Uh, that uh, link on Twitter is actually part of the reason why that is trending, because uh, it has a link to a page where you can contact your representatives and or all of Congress and tell them that they're being fucking idiots and that they need to pass UBI now. You know, what I've been doing by calling them every frickin' couple, uh, you know, days. Thank you for that. Still had zero of my uh, reps in Montana giving me any positive feedback on that. But that's why we got Dan coming on the show again tomorrow, right? Because he's going to replace one of them. Yes, he is. Uh, yeah, he's he's coming on the show tomorrow. And yes, Steve. Rich don't want us to have money. Steve being someone who's currently in our Twitch chat right now. Oh, hi, Tabletop Steve. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Hello, Steve. Hey, Steve. <laughs> My name's Ariel. <laughs> so, also, welcome, Ariel. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was just kind of like eavesdropping, but yeah, I'm 
Uh, I'm just as disgusted as what's going on as all of you. And it's funny. I, I read something on uh, Twitter from James Treacle. He says, hopefully competence makes a comeback. Like competence comes back with a vengeance somehow. If, 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 but we're going to be the ones who are going to have to do it. You to, know? to be honest, yeah. it, it may make a dark comeback by simply weeding out all the idiots. I hope so. It's about honestly, time. I don't. Idiots need- make simple, immediate connections that brilliant people actually need. Hmm? I'm not sure I follow. You need both dumb people to make quick shortcuts for brilliant people to use, and having them mix together. Is this, is this together. the most diplomatic framework we can use? <laughs> hmm. Th- I completely th- agree. I completely agree. This is not. I mean, like, I, I don't. Ag- I, I, I think you have something valuable to say, but maybe we, maybe a different framework, if possible. Hmm. I, Perhaps maybe- by going with the MBTI uh, way of putting it, whereas most of us are probably uh, somewhere on the intuitive scale. We need the sensors to find uh, quick more physical uh, reality-based means of shortcuts in order for us who are a little bit more idea and thought-based to uh, properly execute our ideas. Oh, that's oh. almost brilliant. That That's Wait. pretty much what I was going to say. Oh, I think because a lot of times people like us tend to get stuck in this analysis paralysis mode instead of just like, you know, as they say, pulling the trigger, not in a violent yeah. way, but just I absolutely like... have that problem myself all the time. Yeah. And maybe we should label it a little bit more directly. People who can read warning and safety labels on a bleach bottle and those who start drinking bleach immediately. We <laughs> want to keep everyone alive. <laughs> so we put child-resistant caps on all the bleach bottles. Yeah, right. But that only works for children. Adults it's... know how to open that. Not Stupid. all adults. Well, honest, uh, most kids actually figure out childproof uh, locks and safety caps easier than some adults do. Uh-huh. Well, kids know back, no boundaries. Bringing it back on track, we've got this this two thousand dollar a month payment that so many progressives have demanded that we need. And you'd think even the villains whose goal is to quote unquote reopen the economy would see that this is the only way, right? You need this either to keep the economy closed or to open it. Because if you open the economy and there is just no purchasing power, the average consumer, you are going to make the economy worse. You're going to open up those restaurants, incur additional costs, now, now, and now, lose more money. You're, you're thinking about a reality there, Shale. This is neoliberal reality. What they want you to do is go to a bank and take on debt as soon as the economy opens to go out and buy something. How do they expect the logistics of that will happen now? You know, the back, back in the 30s and 40s, when all this system was really being formed, as we see it now, the thought was to get people well-paid jobs that could support a family, and all that money that they have will go into items which will increase their productivity, which will generate more money or higher quality things with that money. And overall, the wealth would be built. But unfortunately, that started to be be taken apart as we stopped enforcing monopolies and we started allowing giants to take on massively over-leveraged debt for financial speculation. That largely happened in the 70s. So to put it into a more simplistic term, 
Here's a uh, credit card, Shale. It's got a very reasonable interest rate of zero or one percent. Oh, uh, do 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 the business owners really think people are going to all go into credit card debt to continue no. patronizing their businesses? That's actually the amazing trap that we're now in is credit cards are really starting to fall out of fashion now. And where's that money coming from when there isn't any jobs? And what's the consumer market based on then? Those are the big questions our government has to deal with in the next five years. And under Biden, they won't. (laughs) Under Trump, they won't. (laughs) It's not a completely theoretical economy. It it really is. There's been so many assumptions in our economic models that we've actually stopped looking at the real ground. And yes, Steve says, as someone starting a small business, that 2000 a month would help me immensely. And you, as a runner of a small business, Sheridan, you would be able to uh, echo those thoughts, would you not? Oh, my goodness. I actually yelled at Mark Cuban about this. Um, he's a great guy, great ideas, great business mind, but he, he still follows a lot of the neoliberal economic assumptions. Um, namely that everyone has a job and everyone's getting paid a wage, which is Ah. fundamentally not true. So he believes a federal jobs guarantee is a better path or an equivalent path to a basic income, to which I would argue is very much not so for a handful of real reasons. Money, when spent, is another person's income. Money, when spent doesn't disappear. A job can disappear. Demand can fall. Supply can disappear. But you need the inspiration of being able to buy something to make capitalism as a concept work. And that's why I believe investing in people, giving them a basic income, is the best way to fix our capitalistic system because it smooths out all the wrinkles by doing one major thing. It guarantees consumer markets. Guaranteeing cash to people guarantees businesses have people to look to for demand. Right now, businesses are looking at subsects of other employees, and they are guesstimating the disposable income and self-marketing almost junk to create demand. They are creating a false demand. That this bubble has to pop it's just really a question it does. of there's, when. There's a few theorists that think that right now is when we are going to see a hundred year debt cycle drop, a massive, unprecedented drop in the entirety of our modern econ- economics. And I think this oil crash is one of those first signs of it. Oh, there's been a sign of that uh, for a while. Uh, we're. We've been looking at the uh, pre-recession stock market waverings, whether or not they were caused by Trump's ill-fated tweets or not. Uh, And then, you know, a lot of things. And Steve on the Twitch chat says Karl Marx predicted this. Why, yes, he did. And yes, it is a jobs fetish. Uh, So I have a lot to say on Karl Marx because he and the communists correctly called out that the system is flawed and that some subsections of the system can abuse it. However, in the 1800s, 
which is even before the 1920s when we formed a lot of the more modern theories of our economics, he had limited information. And I'm saying 1920 had limited information. Even now, we only have the globe's worth of information. And that's a lot of information, yes, but it's still, you know, relatively limited. But it's still far more vast than what we had 100 years ago. And one of the greatest things that we've seen is the effects of networking people, actually having economic actors trade amongst themselves in a decentralized way. The small business economy, just the concept of it is incredibly powerful. And we need to supercharge that, not through debt, but through actual cash flow to consumers, customers, people who can actually affect their demand. And that's why, I, that's why I call it unrecognized demand. There's a vast, huge su- section of our society which has demand and it's unrecognized because we don't have the cash to actually recognize it. Oh, God, you have no idea the things that I would buy. That's the point. Cash is only a tool to inspire wild imagination and innovation. That's all it is. What what disgusts me the most is that the only thing that we get for free free without paying for is our schooling. And uh, like I, I never demanded certain teachers or certain homework assignments or any of that. And then um, what was schools get funded through through property taxes, right? So if we if we can the flush the schools with cash, cash that, you know, comes to them automatically, then why the heck can't we just do that for the people with with the same way we do for the schools? With, well, with, because we never make young. We'll That's again a realistic public. viewpoint. We're dealing with a neoliberal neoliberal framework of well, they can just get a job as a policeman or a fire department fireman or get a job as a teacher and get paid that way by providing a service to the government. Right. Is it Sesame Street? They're, they're idiots. Um, did, <laughs> so, so when are we going to finally see neoliberalism keel over and die? It's just like well, you know, like like I was saying, where are the the um the pro business people going to congress going hey i need you to create customers for me who can pay me come well, on that's, give them the money that's the joke right here is small businesses are the ones who need customers big businesses don't big businesses are in an entirely different yeah. dynamic they can actually sell to other businesses and more importantly the multinationals can sell to other governments and governments create real value. They can immediately tax their citizens, and that's real value extraction. So, so when, when is someone going to come out and say we're only interested in the business-to-business market? That is what Congress is doing now. Like, when can, will someone come say that? Some, some congressperson. If they don't get a monthly payment to every citizen out of this, they will effectively be saying that to their policy and bribing us with this one-time stimulus payment. Because... Without supporting a generous consumership to actually drive businesses in real demand, real human demand, then the only directions that they're going to be driven is in pursuit of more debt, more government debt, to the point that you may see corporations actually buying countries. I would like to point out a different angle that hasn't been discussed, but it's just as important. 
And that is most states build their hospitals and everything on state-level taxes. Now, having a UBI that is, you know, every person in that state has an income also means that that's more state taxes coming in. That means more revenue to build more hospitals, more infrastructure to better be able to handle this thing and handle the overflow. But why would we want better infrastructure, says the neoliberal? Sorry, I just... Pretty that, much. That's their, that's their argument, basically, is why would we do that? Pretty much, because the dollar return figures for infrastructure are more sociological than they are economic, so you can't see a direct measurement in it right now with our faulty measurements. Well, you would definitely not be seeing hospitals putting bodies into a you know freezer truck be, as a makeshift morgue because they don't have the space. Like I mean, I at said, least it's a freezer truck, so that way the you know bodies don't decompose as fast. Yeah, it's, it's so depressing that all so many of our conversations terminate here, where it's like, yeah, and in conclusion, they just look at the wrong metric. But you know, we do have a new metric, as you pointed out, and it is bodies in trucks, grisly as that is. And bodies that in is trucks, real sociological measurements that people see, and that can cause sociological instability and unrest. Remember history the majority of our uh enlightenment period the reason for us getting america and uh the policies and john locke and all of the philosophers whom inspired our founding fathers that was all started by the enlightenment which started because people were locked in their fucking homes so they don't die of the plague so there, there is some argument that the Enlightenment did help push that, but I really, really think it was more mass starvation that the um, after effects of the Great uh, Potato Famine and other famines across Europe caused. Uh, that it would actually be way before the Great per- Potato Famine because that was mid-1800s. You're right. You're right. I'm trying to think of... Uh, there's... So many famines back then that don't have names. Well, the majority of the famines that you're speaking of were partially caused by the lack of farm labor due to the large death count of the Black Plague. The other uh, famines were because of the uh, trampling and destruction of fields during the many, many wars that also were happening during the time, like the Hundred Years War. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, the actual 114-year war. Yeah, it's funny that it was 114 years, but they call it 100 years. And the War of 1812 was actually 1812 to, like, 1814. It's amazing, though. They get some right. Like, the 30 Years' War, actually 30 years. Yeah, I'm really glad we're out of those random wars for territories and resources. It's far cheaper to extract and trade. I mean, you say that, but hopefully we are still out of those random wars. They could potentially have resurgence if there is enough societal instability there, there is absolutely yeah, resurgence say, of some wars but they're not oh, going to be conventional God, wars like we've me. seen in the past like uh remember in world war one was the last war that the horse was around um after that it became fully mechanized there's going to be a so similar we'll... in innovation on economics we're probably going to see currency wars and countries flexing their political influence by displaying how amazing their currency is and how it can be used within their country. 
Um, we're this... probably going to see other resource wars along the same economic flexings, uh, like this current oil feud between Saudi Arabia and Russia forcing a negative price. So for, for clarity, are we going to see currency wars during this current backdrop of a completely uh, oh, no, 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 no. economy? Or... No, 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 no. We're, we're going to, we're, well, against the theoretical economy, potentially, but I thought you were going to say during this crisis and I'm like, oh, don't worry. No, I mean don't like, worry. that's going to be no, the no, next I, I know, thing. No, no, no. I just mean the second yeah. half of 2020. I mean, are we going to see this before the bubble pops or after? Probably after. It's going to be the bubble popping. Uh the neoliberal bubble popping and changing metrics is probably going to actually kick off these currency wars. Because once you stop trying to value human labor, human time, and human effort, and instead are valuing assets and creativity with a basic income to enable your citizens to fully participate in your internalized markets, it's going to kick off all kinds of different ways that countries are going to flex their political influence. And it's going to, I think, be a change for the better. They're going to be creative wars instead of destructive wars. Can you elaborate on on what the, what that's going to look like? Now, when you say war, is how literal are you being? So, a war is a large scale battle for influence. Before it was influence of territory, influence of resources, influence of religion, um, but now it's going to be influence of economies. So they're going to be. Um, What's the greatest work of art, the greatest movie, the greatest um, tourist destination, the easiest place to live, the uh, greatest place to raise a child, things like that, like actual brilliance. But it's going to be a brutal battle of competitiveness. So a branding war, a culture war. Almost, almost. And will that result in internet flame wars as well? Oh, 100%, 100%. (laughs) <laughs> I just in fact they may really they may give wars. internet flame wars actual value i mean who's gonna fight the flame wars though like i mean how invested are are the common people going so, to be in these wars have you seen the pixel wars I, I i am not familiar with that so the pixel wars was i believe a week-long or a month-long online just incredible uh paint-a-thon there was this thousand by thousand grid and every player who logged onto the site could paint one grid every minute or one grid square every minute. And Wait, millions uh, of you, people. You sharing real quick. Are you talking about the uh, April, April fool's thing Reddit did? Um, our yes. Place? Yes. That's been called uh, the pixel wars. Um, that's exactly what I'm talking about is millions of people uh, signed into this and were changing these pixels one minute at a time. And there were whole factions uh, building forums, talking strategy, really getting creative on how to make an image happen. And that's what we could see in these currency wars, economic actors coming together in very unique ways with the backdrop of their nation's currency. But I can't see the average person really being invested or even understanding what you're describing. That's the amazing thing. Once we actually get a progressive state platform that widely spreads across the world, including a basic income, decent medical care, and a cradle-to-grave welfare state that only requires people to work just a little bit, most normal people... And lazy people are going to essentially pull out of the real system. 
They're going to live on their basic income, have a happy life, continue to grow the human population. But the rest of the people who see the system and really want to push society will see these culture wars and want to partake. I feel like you're describing the setup for like an HBO series and I'll put like a wave base underneath you like no it's it's not going to be that that incredible. Yeah, it's a little sensationalist, but I understand what you're saying. Um if you have the opportunity to uh not participate in the economy and when you don't need to, you may just not. When you look at high earners and high performers in companies, you start to see that they're given a lot more responsibility, a lot more tasks, but the rest of the employees, they're just pretty normal. And they just just want to live their normal life, not really do anything innovative or, or insanely creative for the company. So that's what I base that on. Well, Sheridan, I have a counter argument for you, and it is what color is the dress? You remember that? Internet I remember that. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how that plays into what, to this here. I'm actually not, I'm not calling that, not recalling that at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Okay, there Please was um, a dress that this? had unique colors based on um, people's eyesight, where some people would see it as blue-black and others would see it as white and gold. And just, there were huge debates online over what color the dress was. And then and it, it was yeah. revealed later that it was all because of uh, Photoshop and adjusting the brightness and contrast to a point where it made it appear different with that just fine-tuning of eyesight. And also just uh, individual eyesight based on color perception. Uh-huh. I actually do remember this coming around now. I remember that, but I did not get that explanation at the time. That's good to know in retrospect. Yeah, I always thought that the uh, issue was the technology, how it was actually displaying off of um, different phones and different computers. Um, Has anybody else noticed that tabletop Steve is in here? I was wondering whether or not he actually was just listening in or if he was able to speak. I know Steve has pushed to talk on all the time because his daughter can sometimes walk in the room and be quite loud. How are you doing, Steve? No, I'm just saying that because, like, the, the, the good news is is that if we're starting to attract people, because we seem to agree on everything and we seem to, you know, want to know what the solution is. So I'm just saying that let's, uh, let's see how, how we can get uh, more voices in here and then um, see if how we can, like, um, you know, deconstruct the opposition or at least bring someone in from the opposition and then you know um kind of like uh have have a cordial debate with them and then find more of our own people i'm saying because yeah that that that's just a good thing all around that's a good idea you know um maybe we'll have like an open to the public day or something like 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 maybe maybe we'll do an open to the public weekly session or something something crazy like that i don't know uh or maybe we'll just add some more people to these groups um i'd like to add like at least one person to each of the open discussions now that we're doing a dedicated open discussion three times a week with three smaller groups in addition to the big moderated discussion and then the big open and, discussion after. And and for the people who are like watching us or listening to us like have them do like a review 
you know, or something like that. So, so that way we can get, we can finally get some feedback and then head into kind of like that direction, you know, we got to give them something to review, you know, we can't right. be like, Hey, do the, I mean, we can, that's what they say you should do. But I think really you have to just produce content that inspires people to, to share right. it and review it and yeah. let, let it happen that way. But yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And you know, we're, so we're, Steve, we're working how, towards that. How are you liking it so far? Oh, it's interesting. But uh, Shale invited me to the server like when this whole thing got started. I just got really busy and couldn't uh, devote to a time slot. It's all my fault. But oh. I noticed that I could pop in, so I thought I'd pop in, listen in, and then maybe say something if I got, you know, an idea. Yeah, anybody uh, on the server is welcome to pop in. All right, just just checking because because I'm I'm really looking forward to the day where this this really like gets out there and then we can attract more people to substantive conversations like this and away from their uh, television screens and stuff. Yeah, yeah. TV <laughs> well, uh, is got somebody TV first. Um, yeah, I think someone's got to come on Sunday. Somebody new, and um. We have some more guests tomorrow, don't we? We have yeah, a bunch yeah, of guests tomorrow. Yes. Bunch um, of guests but uh, yeah, tomorrow. I'd like to do a debate if you or I keep we keep talking about it, but um, we should probably like schedule one, you know, or come. We up need with to a, yell at Stevo, Bortz, and drag him on here. Do we, well, do we want to? What What I was gonna say is, uh, in the charity that Disdon and I run, we have a politics section and. Most of the people that post there are Yang supporters. I it'd be wonderful if uh, we could get our friends Kit, Kit and Mintbeard to pop in here. That I don't know them, but um, they would be welcome to to come in. I, I you can extend a, a server invite to them. And Steve, are you in Minnesota too? Yep, I'm in Minnesota. Oh, okay. yep. I I I'm originally from Minnesota, and I've known Steve for God, how long is it now? Almost eleven years. Yeah. Over a decade. Oh, cool. So I was thinking that a good person to invite would be Dan Price. And, I mean, Jeremy was yeah. also back in Dan that. Price would be cool to talk to. Yeah, because because he'll be, he's, he's the business guy over here. And I think, I think that's what it is. Because, you know, like, like what you said, the lack of demand. A lot of people like me, like uh, who are on the, you know, side of not wanting to spend like so they don't get in trouble i just have like all these savings saved up but but a lot of times i don't want to spend it because i have nothing coming in so i just i i'm mostly just buying the basics but it's it's not like i i just want to buy the basics i want to buy maybe like a big ticket item here and there and have more fun with with my money but i'm not doing that because it's like I got nothing coming in, so it's like, you know, yeah. And, and that's really the, what uh, Yang was talking about when he said it was more about more than the money, was financial security creates an ability for you to actually aspire to a bigger purchase, to right. actually make a better oh, yeah. decision. And it's like when you think about, like, the circulation of your blood from, like, all parts of your body, it needs to circulate. Well, what happens when you get, like, a blood clot? It's, it's like, or, or, or the, the brain just wants to keep all the blood and not give any to, like, the arm. That's how I've been describing it for years. Right. Our economy's a blood clot. The 1% has 
all of the blood while the rest of the body starved for it. Right. It's really stupid. And 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 I, I don't even see how they can't see that stupidity. And uh, it's it's yeah. And and then and then when there's no that's why they call it circulation. It's with with no circulation, you don't have anything. And and then and then when the one percent isn't circulating, then the middle class is like, oh, we're going to hold on to our savings even more because we're hardly getting anything. And then it's just all this downward pressure. And then and then the the people who like hardly have money, um, they're like they're going to do that. Nothing is circulating. So they can't really what they're going to get hired for a job where nobody is buying. It makes no sense. It's that, that completely... what you described is what I say a lot as everyone can be rich or everyone can be poor. It just matters how much you spend. And yeah. right now yeah. we have a bunch of poor people who aren't spending anything. Can you describe what you mean by, by that, Sheridan? Every, everyone can be rich or, or anyone can be rich or anyone no. can be poor. What do you mean? Everyone can be rich or everyone can be poor. Because it's the functional way capitalism works in markets. One spent person's spending is another person's income. If everyone is spending their money to someone else, they can spend their money to someone else. But if no one's spending anything, then everyone is just as poor as everyone else. Okay, I see, I see. So what we need to do is make everyone rich. That's, that sounds great. So Ariel, why don't we act on your suggestion? Why don't we figure out right now um, what a good time to have our first debate would be. A weekend would probably be most available for most yeah, of us. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe next Saturday after the moderated debate, we can do the open discussion and like take another break and then just do, I don't know, it'd be a long session, but that's good for Twitch traffic. Well, um, well here, here I'm do a thinking. After that, like Saturday night, maybe like eight or nine at night. I don't yeah. Know. Um, I'm thinking like a lot of times, like, you know, there, there, there's, a lot of like not all of them but conservative minded people out there who who think like oh like you just can't debate with anybody who's on the de- democratic side because their feelings okay. take over yeah. and they're not dealing with facts and all that i'm thinking we get people like that in here and well, show uh, them you know like uh, like that 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 we were like our facts are actually here you know well, but i mean I'm, I'm not i'm not saying like you know totally but yeah, it's the thought. <laughs> well, also, it's great to have an exchange of idea and perspectives. Yeah, yeah. Let's get people. Let's get reasonable, reasonable people who will make a good case. Um, and hopefully, we can work something out. Maybe we'll all learn something. All, all benefit somehow, and hopefully, right. be, be better at UBI advocates. And, and also remember to yeah. um, a, a steel man people's arguments. Exactly. Yes. Instead of exactly. strawmanning them. I don't know if you all read that thing, but it's like, like, um, assume that they're coming from a place that they want the best for everybody, even though, you know, that's not it. it it's, it's like that father that's like, oh, if, if I didn't like physically hurt you, that means that I don't love you because, you know, other parents they don't care about their kids. That's why they don't beat them. But since I care about you, you know, I, I like hurt you as an act of love and stuff like that. And 
you know, like there, there are a lot of people out there that are like, no, no, it's like this desperation is like fuel for people. It, it, it gets them up and, and, and um, it, it gives them something because if they didn't have the desperation, they wouldn't know. Like you, you can only be effective when you're desperate and your back's against the wall. And when you're not like that, like, like you have nothing, you know, people who, who still, still think like that, you know, and, and they're coming from a place that they think like they're morally you know, superior. And this is, this is all about morality, but it's like, okay, let's deconstruct that. Let's really deconstruct that. It would be good to have them on the show. If we could find some people who, who believe that. (laughs) Well, I would love to discuss with them because there's actually some scientific evidence on the happiness and what levels of income can cause what sorts of lifestyles, regardless of where you live. And people who generally make less than $34,000 a year are twice as likely to kill themselves than people who make $35,000 a year or more. And from that flip, the percentage change is only about 10% between the groups. Yeah, exactly. So so they're, they're, they're not understanding. They're, they're thinking that they're pushing those 34,000 people and less to like, you know, make tons more because this is their incentive for them when they're actually just pushing them to suicide. And it's, 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 it's like, they, I don't know, they, they have a brain infection. It's, it's like neo, neoliberalism is like a mind virus. And, um, you see that, um, uh, thing that I sent in the chat about cognitive dissonance, because that's why we want to steal man arguments because that cognitive dissonance thing, it's like really when you're attacking their ideology, you're attacking like their sense of existing in something you're attacking their sense of self. They're exactly. They're exactly. And the, the purpose of our show is to bridge communication caps, right. not, not make people feel bad. Right. Exactly. So, so, so instead of that, like first find like a stable common ground where they can, where they, where we can all agree, like, like just, just tell whoever it is we're debating, like, we don't want people to commit suicide out of misery. It's like, do you agree with that or disagree? Well, they're going to say like, of course I agree with that. You know, I don't want people like killing them, feeling miserable and killing themselves. And we'll be like, okay, like, yeah, you know, we get that and then we'll, the soft sell, they got to reach the logic disconnect on their own. It's kind of the only way to do it. You know, you can't change somebody. They have to change themselves. Right. I, I was going to ask Dizdon a question. Yes, sir. Oh, I've actually had fairly intricate conversations with uh, Tesseract, who's fairly conservative. He's someone both Dizdon and I know. And I think Fortifier is also usually a pretty reasonable person on the opposition side. I, I think if you could get them in, you could probably have some pretty good conversations. So, um, are we going to presume they're anti-UBI just because they're conservative? Because we actually have some pro-UBI conservatives in our group here. Oh, I, I don't know what their stance is on, on UBI. It's just uh, people that I have have a differing opinions on politically that I've uh, had some pretty good luck uh, actually having civil discourse with. Well, we are looking to have a debate, but I think what we're looking for is specifically – um, UBI opponents, because we're UBI advocates. So we want people who specifically do not think it's a good idea, think it's a moral hazard, et cetera, et cetera, think that we just must not have it for whatever reason. Right. We and, may and, have better luck with Tess on that one, because I'm pretty sure Fortifier is pro-UBI. Okay. Yeah. And so and none of this... 
something. Like, Let me propose. Um, I'm sorry, Ariel. Um, we, we we can get we can get back to you in a second. But let me propose a format. I was thinking like maybe four on four, just four 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 of our best advocates, and we can find four good good guests to debate against. Uh, maybe May second, maybe like eight o'clock Eastern. Is if it's not too early. What do you, what do you think, Jeremy? Could you do that? Eight a.m. Uh, Eastern. Yeah. No, no, eight, eight, 8 p.m. Oh, 8 p.m. I'm like 8 a.m. Goddamn, it'd be like 6 a.m. for me. Saturday Fuck. night for all the the nerds who want to stay home and have a an academic debate on on Twitch. But you know, everyone's a nerd who stays home because of the coronavirus. So 2020. <laughs> well, uh, anyway. I'm actually probably the biggest nerd because I have a D and D game Saturday nights. Everyone has a D and D game in this group. That's the thing. I don't... My my name <laughs> is literally <laughs> Tabletop Steve. Stop yeah, reminding yeah, me that yeah. I need to get back on the horse of making the dang Ghostbusters tabletop RPG scenario. I'm gonna I'm gonna have my DM on on Sunday. He's gonna be and, and over over the summer I might run something. I is don't it know. beefy fail? It's not beefy. It, it it'll be a better debate because we're not saying like, oh, do you see like I owned we're gonna own you or like destroy you and all this other like yeah you know yes it's like, nice that we own the the space the virtual space here so we can set the tone we're not trying to own anybody we, we're tired i'm tired right. of that that didn't work yeah. we need a new politics yeah we're, we're, we're trying to own the current system to a point where everyone actually gets a say yeah we're trying to own society and it's good to yeah. actually have um differing opinions and true intellectual debates where you're actually exchanging ideas and points of view well we, we're trying to own our own lives i mean and not and not be a you know a, a a product of circumstance of like you know we we have to make ourselves desirable to either some relationship or random stranger because we count on them for our source of sustenance what can be more you know a, 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 a like conservative or you know freedom thinking than that like true freedom i'm not i'm no longer you know a slave to your you know whims because i have i have my own sustenance coming in that i can do something with you know work for yourself not for someone else this whole uh this one-time stimulus has helped me pay back my business partner for he he paid a lot of our stuff up front like our llc license and it's giving me a little bit more leeway for actually releasing our first product. Yeah, and and then there there's no guilt in the back of your head, you know, like oh, like I still owe this person something because they did this. You you know you know that there's always that guilt of like or or that thing is like this person is providing for, you know, my living expenses and a lot of women are in this situation. So that makes it okay for them to mentally and physically abuse me because I I need, if I want the money, I need to take the mental and physical abuse or I have nothing. So at least I'll have something, but it comes with these strings attached. And a lot of these relationships are with so many strings attached because of the carrot at the end of that thing. Oh yeah, my my sister-in-law was in that same situation with my brother-in-law that he was like just horrible to her, but she had kids to support, so she had to stay in that relationship for a while. Eventually she just decided that it'd be better to be extremely poor and struggle day to day than to put up with his BS. 
And that's right. the sad choice that we've been forced to make with our current society that doesn't even realize how capitalism is supposed to work. Capitalism is supposed to work on supply and demand and exchange of cash for goods. If nobody has the cash to exchange for goods, how, 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 how are we supposed to have an actual working capitalist society? Look, this may sound uh, a little like extreme, but I think like a lot of these schools and universities are just like brothels creating prostitutes for like corporations you know it's it's like what 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 good are you it's 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 like look if you if you don't you know like 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 they they become pimps it's like look either i i know exactly what you're talking about it's the academia to corporate funnel and that's actually not on the academia side that's corporate spending a shit ton of money to ensure that those brilliant people don't go work on the Mars program, instead come to work at in financial speculation. So the schools are simply there to take the money. They're not even. They're not trying to. Well, that, it's that just the money's pain. there. Yeah, it's like well, here. also like the capitalism we have. It's not just making a product and selling it at a slight markup to make a profit, because now with the stock market and wall street the way it is companies can just sell and buy back their own stocks and just artificially inflate those numbers to the point where they don't actually even need to make or sell a product to turn a profit yeah we zombie keep, economy keep coming back to this again and again it is fascinating and terrible and terrifying it's a zombie economy with the uh what is it that they keep doing to quantitative this? easing David. is well the- day this is a brilliant case study on you get what you measure for our big three numbers that we care about as a government looking at a macro economy are gdp unemployment and the stock market and honestly of those three shitty ass measurements the only one that's real and that can be of any help to you as a government is the stock market because it does have one truism with it It is the collection of all available information about any company and what it could be trading at as it is a speculative company. Mm. And, And you know what else, like, I think is a good idea now that so many kids are out of schools, like for 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 like how many people like don't even learn about their own house, like the circuit breakers or like you know, uh, this here or, or like, or like how their electricity works or like the dishwasher, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like to be honest, the- that's, that's what I mean with normal people. Normal people really shouldn't have to worry about that. They should just have cash to pay an electrician who can come and actually know and fix that. And utility, you know, and, and, and bills. It's, it's like so many years of your life, like the, like your, and, and, and it's on the parents, like your parents, don't talk to you about like the bills that they pay or the rent that they pay because some parents just assume that like you you're going to understand that naturally just <laughs> just think about your grades that's the that's the one most important thing your grades but don't don't worry about the adult stuff that we that, do that's why you know? I, I firmly believe that we need a new um civics course standardized in every senior high school year um, academia so they know how to Steve? pay taxes they understand how yeah. the whole system works they understand what money is and what financial literacy is how to actually keep books you know how to be a capitalist and um, people aren't taught that 
Isn't this something that we have heard before, Steve? Oh, this is stuff stuff we would sit and talk about till two in the morning back in college. This is stuff that we talked with our professor, Mr. Carney, about. Oh, yeah. Stuff from the Yang campaign. Oh, he'd be a wonderful person to get on here. I don't even know what he's up to nowadays since he retired. He is currently uh, running his hobby farm and uh, making Christmas trees. What Yang says about financial literacy is you can give people all the theory in the world, but it doesn't mean anything to him until they have $2 to rub together. So they're not going to remember it and they're not going to use it. They're going to learn it. Exactly. And that's why I believe his idea of a basic income at 18 and a uh, senior year civics financial literacy course at 17 or just before um, they graduate at 18, they would have cash or at least have cash soon enough to actually put it into action. It was brilliant. And having the uh, cash disbursement part of UBI for parents of a certain amount uh, that could, at a certain age, be distributed partially to the child as an allowance would be also great. Because then they'd know what to do with their money. And of course, the uh, Yang's idea about giving everybody a little bit of money that they can only use for helping a pol- uh, someone they like politically. Oh yeah, his democracy dollars is fundamentally changing to our what our capitalistic democracy would look like. Because for me personally, I'm a pluralist. I 100% believe businesses should be considered people and they should have their voice heard because they have political interests that are separate from their workers and even their management team. But, but you want comes- it to be more small business. <laughs> Uh, no, I do think big businesses also have a voice and a political right to be heard, but that's in a different format. They should be absorbed by the government because they're too big to fail. They've won capitalism. Uh, you won capitalism. Now you are a branch of our economics division. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, if exactly. you're too big to, to fail, you're too big to exist within a market that can't be perverted by mm-hmm. a very large force. Can we create you have to be bailed out. If you have to be bailed out as a public corporation, the equity that you are bought out for should be paid to the government so that they can use that money that will appreciate. Those assets will appreciate and they can take that money and distribute it to citizens and make the basic income either more generous or cheaper on their books. Either way, it's good. (laughs) I'm sure that's why we're still talking about nationalizing the, the airlines in the second CARES Act, right? Exactly. Because that is genuinely of national interest. We have to have an ability to fly consumers to all kinds of different markets as a capitalistic economy. And we need to talk the same thing about the internet. Well, if it's my taxpayer money. Oh, I agree. Yeah. The internet, the public utilities, all that should be owned and paid for by taxes. Like, like, like that whole decision about net neutrality with the FCC and a oh, yeah. was Trap. that right. was despicable and that needs to be revoked. Right. I'd, I'd like to have like, like 10 free flights or something like that since the airlines were bailed out, you know, like uh, <laughs> yeah, flight for free now, you know, that'd be nice. <laughs> Honestly, I would be 100% happy with going back to 1930s flight pays. 20 bucks for a cross-country airline first class oh man that would be have to remember what the average pay was in 1930s as well 
I completely agree. I completely agree. We do need to tackle inflation as a whole and reformat our economy to be deflationary because that's the only way the- money is going to get power again and debt is actually going to be looked at as an evil again. Right. And and if I got like a, a the the UBI, I would be like, okay, you you companies have to earn my money. I mean, I would be in that sense like I'm your boss. You know, if you want the money that I get, like you're going to have to show me that you're worthy of it. You know. Once you have more money, you can be more discretionary with it. And I mean, that's why the these proposed capitalist favorable candidates in both, you know, Republican Party and the neoliberal part of the Democratic Party, why are they not pro UBI? Why do they not realize that if every individual in the country was given $2,000 a month that they could freely spend how they want, that that would actually increase the wealth of the wealthy? I absolutely explain that now, and it's not their cast. It's because they are beholden to lobbyists. Lobbyists gain corporations and corporations as much money as possible. And unions are the numbering that a UBI encourages. Corporations do have to pay unions to fund or they have to employees cover costs. And remember, your dollar is your vote. That's like that like another right to vote i I mean you like regular voting the kind of ballot thing comes what like once every few months that's not really a vote but every time if if we had ubi we could lobby exactly that's the real reason that they don't get the money out because money can pay for anything our economy with what the uh Ability of our government withholding the money, they think gives it more value, not anymore. And we're just stuck waiting for this economic bubble to pop so the lobbyists can change their mind, I suppose. Well, well, let's just hope that they take the advice of our dear president's great medical doctorate and that they decide that if they are to get COVID, that they must drink bleach. <laughs> Yeah. Hashtag Tide Pod President. All right. Yeah, it's the new Kool Aid. Someone tweeted him. It it sounded like you said you cut out, and I thought you said drink blood for a second, which also works. Yeah, that's just for Hillary Clinton. Uh, (laughs) I know the vampires. If we only had one vampire in the government, then we would not be in this situation. Exactly. And Uh, that's 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 figurative. That's not literal. Not. Yeah, that's yeah. why I believe the American scorecard is honestly the only other policy that we should be pushing for before UBI. It's it's that and UBI at the same time or just UBI first because reorienting the entire economy to follow human desires is so powerful that overnight we'll see businesses change their models. Right. Yeah. Now, now, now it's just like flood penniless people with a ton of advertisements and those people won't buy our stuff anyway and it's so stupid it's mind-boggling the lobbyists have no contingency for changing their models so they're just not going to go to that with any degree of ease right yeah well sharon as a fellow business owner small business owner i got a question for you does it ever drive you crazy when you hear the government completely ignore supply and demand and they just start arguing about 
taxes, either uh, increasing taxes or tax breaks, and that's going to somehow fix the economy. It's like (laughs) – I completely agree. I completely agree because, one, we don't have the taxes that could actually affect real change in real time. Two, taxes are only a tool to control inflation. And three, even if we used those taxes to pay for appropriate social programs – We don't. We invest them into the welfare state and basically pay other administrators to judge who's worthy of getting some financial help and who isn't. Well, the only way it is kind of infuriating. The only way we can actually tackle inflation is to be able to print less money, which we have to print more money because the rich are hoarding it. Therefore, the only way to actually deal with it would be to tax the rich. I completely agree. We need to actually get 80% tax rates on people who make multi-million dollars a year, but that is not enough. Taxes control for inflation by creating a demand for money by a government. That's why I say government debt is actually pretty great debt because its value is almost infinite. A government can just raise taxes on its citizens and extract all the value they need for whatever it is they want. That's why our government specifically is quantitatively easing to infinity. We're printing enough money because in theory, our government can tax all the money back. Well, that's what and they the say. the other no, thing is no taxation. Uh, tax- no yeah. taxation without representation and that a UBI represents us. Go ahead, Angel. just want to say that. Well, the thing is where they try and tell us, oh, well, you know, if we uh, cut your business taxes if we reduce your business taxes you should be able to create more jobs because you'll be doing better it's like that's exactly what i mean get customers that is exactly what i mean because taxes only create a demand for businesses to fulfill and of the other millions of demands that we have to fulfill taxes only controls deflation yeah and it's the thing that's frustrating is it's when the context of UBI comes up and people complain, oh, well, won't that create inflation or won't uh, businesses just raise their prices and everything? No, because businesses, at least smart ones, are going to look and say, I got more customers. I'm making more money than I've ever made. Why do I need to raise prices and reduce my customer base? That would be insane. It seems like a lot of these people have never taken basic economics. Or maybe they expect all businesses to be business to business, not business to consumer, like shared or well, there's out. there's one industry though that I can in fact see doing that, and that is the rental industry. Because if you're in a place, it's such a hassle to move out of it that you might still stay there if they increase your rent by a hundred or two hundred dollars. Well, here's the nice thing about rent specifically, because these uh, rent has been a long-standing problem for humanity um, and to the point that most states have rental control laws. You can't increase your rent more than like 5% every quarter, which is still a lot of uh, wiggle room for rent uh, landlords to actually um, properly value their space. Yeah, now, well, I, I completely I agree that every year. I believe that the rental increase problem is actually more tied to us being in an inflationary economy than to any kind of increase that individuals would receive. Well, also, there's the fact that, you know, 
while some landlords may be able to raise their prices, all it takes is one competitor not raising their prices and they just lost business to those competitors and now they're locked in on a contract for a year or two. Exactly. And that's the amazing thing about um, competitive capitalism is there's always an alternative. And if there isn't one, you can be an alternative. Well, exactly. It's about 20 minutes after the hour. I'm going to I'm going to cut off the recording here and try to get this edited so I can get it out hopefully today, if not tomorrow. Um, you guys are welcome to keep hanging out. I actually got to bounce right now. Want. All right, cool. There's I got to go talk to you all and eat food. All right. Well, thank you all for joining me and thank you for listening. Um, we will be back tomorrow with a big moderated discussion. We'll go back to the old uh, what was called the roundtable format. Now we're calling it the moderated format, which is more accurate. Um, where we have a, a big group of speakers, each given three minutes to respond to three topics for tomorrow. So we'll see you then. Thank you for spending some time with us. Um, yeah, that's it. It was very Take exciting, care. and I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Shay, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Me too. Me too, everybody. We'll see you then. Have a good one. Have a good one. Take care, everybody. Be good to each other. That's it. That's it.